You're listening to the Cannabis Investing Network. Before we begin, a short disclaimer. The full disclaimer follows at the end of this episode. This podcast is a general communication and is being provided for entertainment and information purposes only. It is educational in nature and is not designed to be a recommendation for any specific investment strategy, plan, feature, or other purpose. Please enjoy responsibly. Hello and welcome back to the Cannabis Investing Network podcast. My name is Manish and today we are joined by a man who makes bread because of the Fed. His name is Abby. How you doing, Abby? <laughs> I'm doing very well, man. I'm doing very well. Just like the bread rises, so is my portfolio. Oh, God. <laughs> bread puns? Yeah. Now, Big do you have a... Metaphors? Yeah, now... Now in the morning, do you uh, do you have a ritual to uh, pray to uh, Jay Powell, or what do you do? Papa Powell, absolutely. You have to. You have to look at look at look how he's blessed us so far. <laughs> <laughs> there, I gotta say, this is he has got to be on record um, for. I mean, obviously, most money spent by the Fed, but uh, most amount of memes ever created. For a guy working at the Fed, it's unbelievable. Well, I don't know. G- no, no. Janet Yellen had a lot of memes too, though. You got to remember that, dude. You cannot maybe not as much as Papa Powell. That's true. The That's meme true. economy has, has a nickname. Se- yeah, the <laughs> meme economy has severe inflation right now. I can tell you that it's it's a full employment economy. <laughs> so uh. look, I mean, that is very relevant to what we're talking about today, um, and this is going to be more of a strategic specific episode on how to play this market and i mean the first step of this is for me um somebody who has been constantly saying look like this doesn't make sense keep your powder dry stay on the sidelines um it's somebody like me and i'll I'll explain why but finally capitulating and saying look like i don't think the market makes sense but it's also quite possible that they just keep this state of market going for the foreseeable future. Um, and it becomes like it is a bull market and that is an opportunity for people. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And listen, <clears throat> I've always said, even at the beginning of this pandemic was that, you know, don't bet against when all the world leaders are coming together and they did for the pandemic. I mean, now obviously it's unraveling a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. But with that, Right, we saw insane stimulus coming in, and that's been kind of what's propping up the markets. It's clearly has not been driven by fundamentals, because, you know, in our our conversations offline, you always you always point to uh, the unemployment numbers, right? You're always going, oh "My God, how does this make sense?" And I agree with you; it doesn't make sense right now. But we have been blessed by Papa Powell, and he's given us, you know, this insane opportunity, and um, some of us did pretty well on it. Yeah, and and look, uh, I mean. No risk, no reward. So all the traders who were saying, look, this is a momentum trade. We're going to ride the wave from the Fed. Um, And I was like, you know, you're insane. Uh, They've been rewarded, right? And that was the goal, I think, of the Fed is to get people taking risk again, right? And the fact that here I am three (laughs) months later, you know, capitulating, um, that just shows you that what they're doing is working, right? As guys like me start saying, all right, fine like you know i can't fight this this you know four trillion dollar behemoth um what they're trying to do is to get the markets to function normally and you know they're distorting the market in the process but they're basically saying you know what we don't care about the side effects because uh the goal is that we we can't let the economy fall uh, into that, you know, kind of Great Depression era that we're all scared of. So we'll get into that. Right. But just to start, so so the the agenda for today is basically going to be, we're going to talk about what happened in the last week or so, um, why that kind of made me shift my mentality, um, but then also like you know the the caveat of, um, the caveat of, you know if I am going to play it and I'm still cautious how I'm going to play it, right? And talking about specifics, specific companies, cannabis companies, and how I think about it, right? And then Abby also would love to hear about kind of the stuff you're doing and, and you know, how you're thinking about making trades in this market. 
Well, I, I'm I'm doubling down on Hertz. You know, I participated in that private placement. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm I'm absolutely kidding for anybody who's listening. I wanted to kind of chime in there when you were giving the uh, uh, the preface there for the episode uh, uh-huh. regarding the Fed coming in for. Uh, to to sort of bring risk back to the table, and I wanted to chime. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, this has never been. This is this is such a risk on environment that a bankrupt company <laughs> can file a prospectus. Or I don't know if they're doing a prospectus offering, but can go out and raise capital being propped up by retail investors on a valuation being propped up by retail investors. It's absolutely absurd. Yeah. So so look, and I know very little about Hertz, right? But just from the high level. Um, so here's an interesting thought, right? So on Monday, so today is uh, Tuesday night. So today is June 16th. Um, and we just had a really interesting couple of days because on, uh, I think it was Thursday, the market just dropped, just dropped like a stone. Uh, and really on no news at all. Like I think, I think it just kind of shifted the other way. Which is what I've been worried about. That look, this this rally is, you know, it's a sugar rush. It's not built on anything, right? It's just a momentum swing. So momentum can swing the other way. And that's what started to happen very quickly. And you had a lot of people, like retail investors trading on margin, who were suddenly down, you know, five, six, ten, fifteen points in a day. And it was it was brutal. And cannabis got absolutely uh, absolutely smacked in that in that process. And on Monday, it looked like that was deepening, right? The S&P uh, was falling a couple points and it looked like, you know, it was really this thing was going to keep going. Um, and the Fed on Monday around noon stepped up and said, uh, oh, by the way, as a reminder, we actually are going to be buying uh, corporate bonds directly from companies, right? So so going one step further or or... I think they'd already announced that back in March, but now they were just re-emphasizing it. And Abby, if you remember, what I said to you at that time was like, wow, like I had previously thought that the Fed was just throwing money at the situation because look, we got to help business. We got to, you know, we got to keep them alive. Right. Um, And we're going to throw money at the businesses to help them. Right. But I didn't think the Fed was watching the market that much. Like I didn't I didn't think they had, you know, the the S&P 500 ticker and they were watching it go up and down. Um you didn't think they were going to be reactive to the market, right? You thought they would be more proactive in order to prevent stuff like, you know, massive corrections from happening. Um as opposed to reacting yeah, like I, to daily swings. Yeah, like I didn't think the job of the Fed chair was to like look at the S&P 500 and be like, oh, look, it's kind of dipping below 3000. Let's get it back up there. Right. Like, I think if anything, they would have been like, hey, we're creating these weird asset bubbles. You know, are we is that what we want to be doing? Like, is are we is this an unintended consequence? Um, so that was how I was thinking. And and again, I mean, like we're you're kidding yourself if you if you think you know how the Federal Reserve thinks. Right. I mean, that's just beyond so many people's pay grade. But what happened on Monday? It reminded me of a cannabis company where your stock price is cratering. Like, you know, this is a little bit, a little while ago, like pre-revenue days, right? And your start, stock price is cratering. Or whatever. Say. I mean, I was in the market 17, 18, you know, the pre-legalization, right? But your stock price is cratering and, um, you know, you suddenly you, you get out there and you release a, a huge PR, right? A big ne- a press release or news release. Hey, we're planning to, uh, you know, get into the Colombian market, right? Even though there is no Colombian market or it's just, you know, nascent, nobody knows anything about it, but you just, you know, have a press release like that. And suddenly people eat it up and they, you know, the momentum turns and they start buying your stock again, right? That's mm-hmm. what Monday felt like to me. And I was like, oh my God, the federal reserve is pumping this economy like a penny stock. Like that's like really <laughs> I what I took I wouldn't go as far as saying that, but I wouldn't go as far as saying that, but I mean, I, I could definitely see where you're drawing the parallels from. Um, and yes, and, and yes, you're right. Actually, you're right. It's never, I've, I've never seen it to the point where the Fed has been so reactive to the market. Even if you recall before all of this was happening, late 2019, when the Fed was in a tightening cycle, um, they, they, they weren't, uh, as reactive with the market, they would tighten, the market would come down, they would tighten again, 
the market would come down. And then it wasn't mm-hmm. until I think Trump called them out, then they stayed neutral for a little bit. Right. Um, and now I re- it's and kind I, of, like I the, mean, I, yeah. And I hope that they don't take their direction from, you know, what Donald Trump tweets. Well, no, they, 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 I mean, that's that level of, um, I guess. Like, I hope that was coincidence, not, I hope that wasn't causality. Yeah, it's, it's really, it's really tough. Like the, the Fed is really supposed to be independent, right? From, from mm-hmm. Capitol Hill. And it's, it's very, very, very important uh, in everybody's eyes for that independence to be there. And you know what? Sure. It could have been, it could have been a coincidence, but nonetheless, that tweet went out and then there was a reaction to it. So, you know, anyone can draw whatever thesis they want out of that, but the facts are the facts. Um, I would still like to believe that there's a certain level of independence uh, from, with the Fed and and and, uh, and the president, um, but hey, you know it's the it, it's tough to say. But I'm going to continue to uh, behave, or sorry, react. Uh, I'm going I'm to continue to trade in that way. And look, when COVID did happen, sorry, what we were talking about when COVID did happen, the Fed they didn't step in right away. I think they waited about like two weeks or something. Like they 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 acted mm-hmm. a lot quicker than they did back in 2008. But that's because they learned their lessons from 2008, um, right? And they stepped in, right. and they stepped in in an appropriate amount, right? Like two trillion was like, well, that's an insane shock. But that didn't even bring mm-hmm. the market back to what it was, right? It just it just sort of provided a floor to the market. Mm-hmm. Um, then in March, like as you alluded to, they started to say they were going to buy back uh, corporate bond ETFs, I believe, right. or bond ETFs. I don't know if they're corporate bonds. Yeah, bond, bond ETFs, ETFs. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, I think even yeah, junk, and then, junk status. Yeah, exactly. But they were ETFs, right? They were buying whatever. And then, and then, like you said, uh, you know, the market sort of sentiment changes, capitulation occurs, people start selling, um, and I and, and and the selling is warranted too, right? Like you know, we got to remember we're still most places, at least in Canada, we're still locked in. I know the states, some states have begun to uh, reopen. We're not back at a hundred percent yet. We're still there's still travel bans everywhere. Um, borders are still closed. Unemployment is still rising. We do have, I'm going to call it universal basic income here. Uh, we do have UBI. It's not really UBI. It's whatever your, you know, EI is or whatever, but, uh, we have UBI right now and, um, there's just a lot of uncertainty. So there is actually like validity behind the selling, right? And if they do, if they do, um, sorry, there, yeah, there's validity behind, behind the selling. And if they, um, if if people are, if sentiment started to shift, I think maybe that's why the Fed stepped in. But the Fed shouldn't be that reactive. And again, look, listen, we're just pulling hairs here at this point. Well, look, I, I, here's what I'm here's what I'm taking away from what they did on Monday. Okay, and and look, it could be coincidence. It could be that they were going to come out and announce anyway that hey, we're buying individual corporate bonds. Remember, this is something they'd already announced as part of that big package in March. They just hadn't done it, and so they were they were just reaffirming that, hey, we are going to do this. Um, And my takeaway from that is that that was not coincidence. Uh, My takeaway is they are very concerned about uh, kind of the panic and the fear having the contagion effect and spreading. So the minute the market starts to fall, like it's one thing if the market drops five or six points over a couple of weeks, but when it does that in a day, then people really start to get freaked out. And the word I kept thinking about was whiplash. Like this market seems mm-hmm. to be all about whiplash. Like you think you're going one way really fast and then you turn around the other way really fast. Um, and the reason for that crazy volatility, in my opinion, is the market is distorted. I think, I think it's called whipsaw. Not what you're, what no, you're defining? Well, whip, whiplash is like what happens to your neck when you like move really fast one way than the other. That's like, and then your neck gets sore. That's called whiplash. Right, but whipsaws. What happens to the market when it goes up and down? Oh, gotcha. Okay, I didn't know that. So, yeah. so, but what I'm getting at is that is that what I'm taking away from this, and I could be wrong, but this is what I'm taking away, is that the Fed is so worried about the market dropping and that fear spreading that they're like, we're going to keep this thing uh, pumped up. So, the minute we start having another issue like that. They're going to come out and say, all right, now we purchased, you know, a bunch of these bonds that we never thought we would purchase. Right. So they're going to actually ah. like they're going to they have more ammo. Like what they did on Monday was nothing. It didn't they didn't spend any money on Monday. Right. All so, they so said was, like hey, we're timing. 
So you feel like they're timing releases or press releases as as needed. Exactly, in the which is exactly what like a mar- a, a hype driven cannabis company would do back in the day, right? Like just just timing right. their releases with the market. So that's my takeaway from that is that they're going to keep an eye on the market, and anytime it starts to slip too fast, they're going to try to reverse the effect. So that's just sort of my um, high level take on it. And what that means ultimately is that that's that's the reason for my capitulation because I'm like, look, I don't think the market makes sense. I still think there's a huge overvaluation. Uh, however, the Fed is making this a rising tide and they're going to reward risk-taking behavior. So if that's the case and that's the reality, let's not fight reality, right? Let's come up with a strategy that allows us to still make money, uh, but still hedge our bets in this wild and crazy Fed-driven market. Right, right. I feel I feel like somebody came on this podcast a couple weeks ago and really hammered home on that about trading this market. I just I just can't remember who it was though. I don't know. Well, do that doesn't make any sh- sense, Abby, because the only two people on this podcast are you and me. And I know I wasn't saying that, and I know that you were just agreeing with whatever I said. So that can't be true. <laughs> <laughs> all right Don't look look me. i'll, I'll um, say it abby, i'm glad abby, i'm glad i'm no 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 you were sorry abby you were not coming around abby you were not wrong <laughs> that's the highest honor you could get on this podcast just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> don't get used to it although, <laughs> although the fact that i'm capitulating you know what this means it's time to sell baby yeah, the the market top is in, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, but that's that's how it felt last week. It literally felt like the top is in, the momentum's changing, but then the Fed's like, whoa, 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 we're not going to allow that to happen. And so now I'm like, oh my god, are they just going to step in every time this happens? Um, and by the way, eventually that's not going to work. Like they can only they can only keep it going for so long. Well, I mean, like, listen, th- this concern, I mean, I don't know if this is the right podcast for it, but this concern has been brought up by multiple podcasts, right? Um, if they're they're devaluating their money by, they're devaluating the dollar, sorry, by printing just unlimited amounts, right? There's no, they're not basing this currency off of anything um, aside from just, you know, debt and the trust that the people are going to pay it back. That's about it. So this concern has been, has been brought, like, I think from a lot of people and, when when is like I think you used the analogy earlier about musical chairs, but when's the music gonna stop? Um, to be honest, I don't I I don't think it's gonna stop for a while, just because you know there is an election looming. Again, there's no proof that like the election has anything to do with it, but it just I just have I just have a hunch that you know with the election coming up, they're gonna want to try to keep the markets or people, you know, um, not at bay, but as 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 happy as possible. Um, and keeping the and keeping oh, the S and P hundred percent level that it is, yeah, exactly. And then there's a whole like, like you're right, man. You're you're hundred percent right in your your original thesis where the world there's so much going on, there's so much uncertainty in the world. It does not make any sense. The only thing that it could possibly be in the markets is that the Fed is providing liquidity. And on the bond, just a, just a quick comment on the bond. I know we've hammered this topic quite a bit, but on the bond side, I mean. Even prior to COVID, there was actually an asset bubble forming in um, corporate bonds. Corporate where, corporate bonds. Uh, yeah, in corporate bonds where um, like triple B rated and below uh, were sort of taking up the majority of the bond index, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like that obviously had some influence on how the Fed was going to react or, or the comment that came out on the Fed uh, or the policies that they made up before. Um, maybe some of those bonds are starting to default, right? And they want to prevent that sort of scarce that they want to prefer, prevent that fear from going into the equity market because the bond market is usually um, a great indicator of what the equity market is going to do, right? Remember in I think June of last year, like, yeah, exactly. Or July of last year, June of last year, we saw the inversion in the yield curve. That usually indicates that there's a top in the S&P 500. I mean, we had a black swan event, but nonetheless, you know, mm-hmm. it still predicted a recession. So, so here's, you know, talking about the bond market and talking about the Fed and talking about Hertz, right? So Hertz is in bankruptcy and then people are piling into the stock, which 
normally is not a very smart thing to do because normally <laughs> equity holders get wiped out in bankruptcy. Okay. Um, now yeah. there, it could be that it's a strategic restructuring and bankruptcy is a way to protect it. And the equity actually comes out. Okay. I don't think that's what's going to happen, but continuing the thought, like what if, for example, the fed steps in and says, okay, Hertz, we're going to buy your corporate debt. Right. Like, I mean, that was a theoretically a good business before COVID. It went bankrupt because of COVID. So, all right, we're going to come in and buy the corporate debt. You just raised a bunch of new equity. So, with those two things together, you can now float yourself for the next two years. Right. And they signal to the market that, that, hey, like, again, like they reward the risk taking behavior. Now, this is like a really extreme example, but this is something that would be like completely nonsensical pre-COVID, but it's like not completely out of the realm in today's market. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Even in today's market, I, I definitely, like the only value, like, like listen, if we were to put our value hats on, the only value that I could see a bankrupt company having, especially a company like Hertz, would probably be their brand equity, right? Like people know what Hertz is. That's about it. I mean, I can't think of, I haven't looked at their balance sheet, but like, I don't know how many assets they possibly have. And that's like a, a very um, thin, I guess, like a very, like a, 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 that's just predicated off of like a house of cards. Like, I don't know. Abby, I would, Abby, I, Abby, I would, I would, Abby, I'm Abby, not... Abby. This is, this is not a balance sheet reading market, my friend. This is a, <laughs> Dave Portnoy mentioned it on his Twitter account. So therefore back up the truck and, you know, load with both hands. <laughs> Take my UBI and put it into my trading account. There you go. And actually, okay, so this is the other thing. I did talk to a couple of buddies last week, uh, real estate guys who were collecting CERB, and they said they took that CERB money, um, yeah, that's the uh, the unemployment benefit, and they put it like directly into the market. Now, look, it's a couple of grand, right? It's four grand, six grand, whatever. Um, but there's a lot of anecdotal evidence of stimulus checks, you know, basically going into people's trading accounts and them them trading because they have nothing else to do. They're sitting at home. It's something they can do. And it's, it's almost like a game. Like it's fun. And when the market is going yeah. up, 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 like gambling is fun and it's, it's fun when you're winning. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And it is a gamble at that point, right? I mean, depending on what they're buying, but still, I mean, it's uh, it's funny so, to see. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about, Okay, that's a good overview. Let's talk about what that actually means in, sort of, in terms of strategies and tactics. So uh, we are, you know, uh, obviously it's a cannabis-focused podcast. Um, I think almost everything I've, I have bought is cannabis. Uh, so let me, let me just take a step back and kind of lay out my overall strategy. And one thing I think I don't talk about enough, Abby, is the fact that, you know, I mentioned in April, I think I went to all cash. Um, I, I always forget to mention, though, I have a pretty big portfolio of private investments in the cannabis space. So it's not really all of my portfolio going to cash. It's because like half of, you know, roughly half of the portfolios in private investments. So those are illiquid. So for better or for worse, you know, you're kind of stuck with those. Um, right. So it's just taking the cash portion, like the, the liquid portion to cash, right? Um, and then of all that cash that I have, I'm probably going to end up deploying 20 to 25% of it if I find the right spots to shoot. So the goal will still be to keep a lot of dry powder and try to be as patient as possible. Um, because ultimately, anything that cannot go on forever must end. And I think that's an old Warren Buffett quoting Yogi Berra quote, but um, the idea being like this game with the Fed, at some point it can come to a very abrupt stop and people can stop buying into, you know, this, this game. Uh, so you don't want to get caught on the other side of that, right? That's the kind of scary, the scary part of it. But, you know, if you're going to have a rising tide, you know, there can be ways to play that and take advantage of that. So that's what I want to get into now is is the actual strategy as well as, you know, some names just as an example of how I'm thinking uh, about what to what could make sense to buy here. Now, are you looking 
like fairly sector agnostic? Or are you keeping this focus on cannabis? So look, personally, I've, I think I've bought, like I've bought very little, right? I bought maybe two or three names. Um, I bought Wells Fargo when it was down to like 22 bucks. And I, like, I like financials. I know banks, not, not the US ones, but I know the Canadian ones decently well. It's hard to know any company that's that large. Um, but I like banks in general. Uh, but I probably wouldn't go, like, I'm not going to go doing the momentum trade. Like, oh, I'm not going to go like, okay, let's do an airline now. Let's do a cruise. Let's do, like, it's, it's probably not going to be my thing. Um, I can see why people would do that. Like, you talked a while ago about Air Canada, right? And I could see how that could be a good trade. Uh, but in general, my level of fear is still pretty high. So I want to shoot in the places that I know pretty well. So most of the picks I think will be cannabis. And I actually think the cannabis industry has shown how resilient it can be during this downturn. So that, that has uh, been a positive affirmation for me for my investment in cannabis. For sure. For sure. And I just, I just want to talk about <clears throat> just really quickly before you get started there um, hmm. on, on, on my air Canada pick there. I was yeah, basically please. going, yeah, I was basically going with the, with the belief that, you know, companies that I've used in the past, um, that I've liked as a, as, as a customer, right. Mm -hmm. Um, we're probably going to still be here after COVID. I mean, it was just like, okay, look, is Starbucks really going to go under? I don't really think Starbucks is going to go under with COVID. It is a retail coffee chain. They're going to have some turmoil, but you know, Starbucks, the brand is like one of the, the top coffee brands. They're going to be fine. I think once so, so you're saying you went all in on the Cheesecake Factory? The Cheesecake Factory? Is that even a publicly traded stock? <laughs> I don't know. Just, just, just reach in on that one. Oh, oh, um, yeah. Oh, okay, okay, gotcha. My favorite stocks. Ha, 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 ha. Manish with the knee slappers here. Um, I know, and then so for Air Canada, like Air Canada, if you're a Canadian... It's your only choice for airline, basically, if you want to start building up loyalty programs and whatnot, and if you want to fly around the world, um, as opposed to just like just within Canada, right? There's there's multiple local airlines that you can use, but aside from like WestJet, it's just Air Canada, right? Those are the only two that we have. I mean, obviously, we have United Delta that, that fly into Toronto and fly out. Mm -hmm. So I thought, look, business is not going to stop after COVID. Like once COVID comes back in, they're going to be like things are going to be fine. I. I was fully anticipating the government to step in and st save Air Canada. So I was like, all right, that, that was my right. pick based off of Air Canada. Um, yep. Cineplex was another one that I traded. Um, I still think movie theaters are, are fine. Like, I don't think it's that bad of a play. Uh, I think the next two years are going to be brutal for movie theaters. But nonetheless, like people are, st people are still going to want to go to the movies. Right. Maybe yeah, they man, switch I, to drive-in theater. Uh, yeah, I, I disagree. I think, I think, so I think, okay, so this is, this is an interesting discussion to have about what kind of stuff to buy, what kind of not stuff not to buy, right? And we'll get into cannabis in a little bit, but um, that's the kind of stuff I would stay away from. Like any business that I think will have a prolonged COVID impact, um, I would be very careful of, uh, And but especially a business that I think was already in decline. So like movie theaters was, that's a business that was already having a lot of challenges with its business model. And I think COVID is like a right. nail on the coffin as opposed to just that like a temporary bump. Yeah. Like, but there like was airlines, that like airlines maybe... will recover. Like airlines will recover. Yeah. The, the, the problem is the depth of the pain will be really, really bad for years probably. And, but right. on the, if you can get to the other side, so if you can get a low enough price on it, you'll probably be okay. And to your point with Air Canada, it's like, Hey, that's probably going to get bailed out by the government. So I was only half joking when I said it's not a balance sheet reading market. Like the reality is for some of these companies, it's not like your play in Air Canada was like, it's so beaten up. I'm going to get in. It's priced like it's probably going to go broke. And I don't think it's going to go broke. Right. So that's where you made your money. Right. Right. But now in today's market. And that was the same thing yeah. with, sorry, that was the same thing with Cineplex. Like, I don't own Cineplex right now. Okay. Uh, but Cineplex okay. got oversold, bought it, and it, <clears throat> I got out, like, you know, I, I traded that one. But look, I've looked, mm. I've, I've kept a close eye on it. Um, I look, listen, it's I'm a big right now. movie guy. Like, oh, it is. I know it is. But I, I'm a big movie guy. And I really think that like a larger company will 
come in and step in like either Netflix or Amazon or whatnot, who've been trying to get that footprint. Like I don't, maybe, maybe, maybe Cineplex isn't the one that's going to survive. So, right. That's the other thing I'm, I'm looking at theaters as a whole. Like I think that concept right. is going to be there, especially right, right, right. theaters. Um, but you're right. It was a declining industry. Like nobody goes to the movies. I don't say nobody goes to the movies, but the, the people don't go as often as they used to in the past. Um, they take up a lot of real estate, um, you know, the food isn't really that great. It's overpriced. I, I, get that. I, get owned a a, t- I owned a ton of Cineplex, just so you know, like two or three years ago. Like when I was right. first getting more heavy into cannabis, I owned a ton of Cineplex uh, as a value play kind of because it was getting the, you know, it was really getting killed. Um, so I, I was on top of that thing for years and I just eventually gave up on it. And I'm really glad I did, honestly. I mean, didn't see this coming obviously but it was just a really tough business yeah yeah no i mean like listen i, I don't want to say that cineplex is, is like my number one pick um i to be honest i don't even think they're going to make it out of covid like it's it's tough it's really tough like they have massive real estate that they have to sort of overheads that they've got to work on and then on top of that when movies do come back they still have to pay licensing fees and all that right uh, it's a tough business to compete in, um, but do I think movie theaters in general, like as a whole, is are is, is that a pastime that's going to be um, gone with? No, absolutely not. I think I think people will still go to the movies. I don't I don't I don't know how that story is going to play out, but Cineplex is not one of my holdings right now. Yeah, sure. So so look, a lot of things will live on. Movie theaters will live on. Air, airlines will live on. Restaurants, bars, etc. Will live on. But it doesn't mean you want to buy. Uh, the ones like the big ones today at today's prices, right? So um, like now that the market's been pumped up, there's like a rotational trade going on where people are basically going, okay, we made a bunch of money on the tech guys. We made a bunch of money here. Let's take some of that off the table and let's go try to do it again. So let's find, well, actually, you know, the industry. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I, I just want to say, <clears throat> I was talking to a portfolio manager uh, a pretty big one, actually, regarding mm-hmm. that rotational trade that's happening. And her thesis was that it wasn't, it, it was basically, okay, when COVID first started to happen, it was the work from home trade. What is going to work at, on on the work from home? You know, tech companies yeah. getting connected, sure. uh, yada, yada, yada. And now it's the back to work trade, all right? Or the opening up trade, whatever you want to call it. So she, she called it the back to work trade. And she's like, okay, what's yep. going to benefit from the back to work trade, right? All the ancillary businesses that people aren't thinking about, like sanitizing companies, uh, com- like Dow Chemical, com- companies that sell chemicals. She's like, that's a great play right now because everybody needs something, you know, like alcohol or um, isopropyl or whatever, like cleaning solutions, right? Um, she talked about Clorox. She talked about uh, a couple other uh, other plays, but that was kind of the rotational movement that maybe you're you're sort of alluding to. That's she she, she was talking about that as well. She just had a name. For well, it, that, I, I think it's part of it. Yeah, no, I think you you or that person described it really well when they said it was the work from home and the back to work trade. But rotational the way I think about it, at least, is like people just rotating from one sector to another, and it it. Like, you know, it could be what you're talking about, but I think it's more of uh, just rotating, like the momentum trade, taking away from the areas that you've made a bunch of money and putting it into the next wave. So like, okay, this, you know, this sector has surged a lot. I'm going to take some profits and I'm going to take that money and put it in a sector that's still kind of beaten up. Right. So this brings us to cannabis. Okay. So cannabis has had an incredible run. So from the bottom, um, I think it has, depending on the name, it's it's something like doubled in almost every name. So if you look at, you know, pick a name, you go back to, you know, the March lows and you're looking at, you know, roughly something like, you know, 65% to 100 plus percent gains in a, in a couple months, right? So it has seen an incredible run with the rest of the market. Um, so that's where I get cautious, okay? That's where I start getting worried because- Remember, cannabis companies, especially in the U.S., they don't get any of that stimulus money. They get it because it goes to the consumers and the consumers spend it on cannabis, but they don't get that government you know, load or, or giveaway, right? A lot of them are ineligible for that. Um, and that's an advantage right. that Canada has over the U.S. is Canada can get those loans. The U.S. can't. Um, now, the, the question is, how do you invest 
or how do you trade in this market? And those are two really different things, right? Uh, so here are my two strategies, okay? And, and Abby, please uh, love to hear your opinion on this. So the first one is investment, okay? And I'm primarily an investor. What I'm doing is anything I buy today, I'm looking at it like it's a private placement. So mentally I'm saying, this is something I'm buying and a price that I'm buying at and an amount that I'm putting in that I would be comfortable holding this for you know, uh, six months, 12 months, two years, three years, whatever, right? Like really thinking about it like it's an illiquid investment and deciding whether or not I would do it that way, okay? Right. Why? Because if I get stuck and the market tanks because you know, it just happens. I'm okay. That was a private investment for me, right? Um, if the market takes off and gets really hot, I can choose to take advantage of that and sell it. Um, but I don't need that. I don't need, I don't, I'm not banking on the momentum, right? So that's the, just overall, that's my investment strategy. And most of the money I'm going to spend will probably be on a private MSO, uh, that I've been, you know, I already have money into and I've been thinking about it a lot and I'm probably going to end up investing, uh, you know, a, a good chunk more in that one, right? Um, so that's from an in investment lens. Uh, what you could also do is, you know, I think company, like a company like GTI, uh, which is just a phenomenal company, you know, the price is not cheap at today's value, but it's not super expensive either. So you could probably buy some of that today and put that away and not worry about it so much. And if it happens to catch fire, you can choose to sell it and take the gain and then, you know, and then wait, right? But if it if it dips down, then you're comfortable buying more or just doing nothing. So that that's how I would think about investing in today's cannabis market. Right. And that, and that's and that's a good lens to have. Um the one thing I would just say about the bu the buying privates right now, um Manish, you're a very well-versed and well-educated investor. Uh, for a lot of people who are looking at private placements, you know, you have to really, 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 really get down to the nitty gritty on the valuation. Because on the public markets, when COVID happened, you know, prices reset, which means valuations came down, right? So if, if a company is coming back to you, for example, let's say they came to you uh, last year this time, or even last fall, at I'm, I'm just going to make this number up, $100 million valuation, and you're like, oh my God, this is a great deal for this company. And now they're coming back to you and they're saying, <clears throat> but you decided not to invest because, you know, you you were afraid of what was going to happen in the cannabis sector prior to COVID. We were always preaching sure. that um, there was high burn rates, cash, cash levels were getting lower. We were expecting sure. a bloodbath. Um, they come back to you and they say, hey, we weren't able to close our raise. Uh, we're still raising capital. Are you interested? Right. Um, you should really question, well, has your valuation come down? Because if it hasn't, then they're still valuing the market as if it was like October or whatever time frame I gave at the beginning of this uh, example. Um, so really, you know, don't be afraid to just go back to those privates and be like, well, listen, a lot has changed since you guys first brought the story. Your valuation has right. Most companies have come back and they revalued themselves. But that's something to keep into consideration because in your GTI example, GTI would have been revalued, right? If you're buying in in today's markets, it's it's a publicly traded company, right? Or liquid. So so, so it's it's so Abby, it's funny you bring that up because the company that I'm investing in, I initially invested in a year ago, okay, and today I'm investing at the exact same value, despite the fact that the you know the markets have plummeted since then, okay. Um, However, right, but have they delivered on something that exactly, you were exactly. How, however, right. in January, Illinois went online, and they're they have operations in Illinois, so they're they got you know a huge boom from that, right? So now the valuation's the same, but the fundamental picture has improved, you know, drastically several times what it was when I first invested, right? So I'm getting the same right. valuation, right. but I'm happier getting it because the numbers have improved. And it's very smart on their part to not get greedy. Like they could probably try to push a higher value, right? But exactly. they're like, no, 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 we'd rather just get the capital in. So we're going to keep it flat. Exactly. And so keeping it flat when they've executed on their business plan is basically a revaluation because yeah, like you absolutely. said, they could come back and absolutely. say, yeah, they, they could come back and revalue their company, right? Um, and yeah, it's very for sure. fair for that company to do that. Um, 100%. The other thing and, and so look at, 
so sorry, just to cut you off, look, look at GTI. Yep. So GTI, for example, is pretty close to its all-time highs. Like it's not that far off. Um, maybe not all-time highs, but where it was a year ago, it's not that far off. Yeah, but it had like blockbuster numbers. It had it had, it had pretty good earnings, right? A little while back. But that's my point, right? That's my point. So the valuation yeah. is is roughly the same, but the numbers have gotten a lot better. So they've been able. To, so as a, an investor, you're paying the same valuation, but you're they've de-risked the opportunity a lot. They've shown you that look, we can achieve these kinds of numbers, uh, and I value that much more highly than anything people say. Right, the financials are I value right, because sure. because you can't fake those. You know, you know who I've been actually, or what, what I guess, what country I've been sort of um, attracted to again in terms of cannabis investing. Tell me, Canada, Canada. Believe oh, it or yeah, not, okay. after everything, the it, yeah, it got it got it got hit pretty hard. Um, mm-hmm. I was always saying, Hey, listen, I cycled my capital outside of Canada and I did, uh, I cycled most mm-hmm, of it outside mm-hmm. asides from a couple extractors. Uh, I mm-hmm. pretty much didn't have any, any investments left in Canada. It got decimated. We sat in sidelines. Um, but now some of these companies are starting to emerge, right? Is the growth opportunity going to be the same as let's say, I don't know, uh, Illinois, probably not. Um, but like, but similar to the GTI example, these companies are now starting to execute on their business plan and their valuations are being justified. And a good example, I haven't, I, I don't own this company yet, but I've been watching them close, closely and closer and closer. And it's actually one that I think you put me on or a sector that you put me on, which is retail, right? Like fire and flower. Um, they, they had blockbuster numbers that came out. Um, no, their earnings were, sorry, their, their earnings there were really great. Um, and uh, just with COVID and everything, they've sort of, uh, I, I've been I've been just keeping a closer eye on cannabis retail, um, mm-hmm. just given because I think you were the one talking about the the bottlenecks in the OCS, right? And that you were saying that, you know, and then it got turned into an essential service, so it made sense. Um, the Fire and Flower was one I wasn't watching too closely. And then I think, what, yesterday, uh, the numbers came out and they were they're crazy. They were really good. They beat all like they, they beat the streets expectations uh, in terms of uh, revenue as well as uh, they, they're still operating at a loss right now, but uh, they're, they're not, mm-hmm. they're not losing as much, much money as they were anticipating. But what was really exciting to see um, was two things that you and I talked about. Uh, well, I guess we both, we talked about them, but one was the COVID curbside pickup. They were able to adjust better than anybody else because they had this uh, digital um, platform called high fire. Right. High fire okay. was a, yeah, it's like a, it's, it's their, it's their digital, it's their own in-house digital platform that they were working with that collects consumer data. Um, and because they had this infrastructure already, they could do curbside pickup a lot better than other dispensaries. Um, but the one thing I actually had a call with, uh, with, with a couple guys who own it, um, who, who are close to management. I've never spoken to management, just putting that out there. Um, but a couple of the guys that I was speaking with, they were saying that one, the reason they really like uh, fire and flower right now aside from the revenue numbers um was that high fire is a great platform to get 360 customer feedback right so like lps can now you know subscribe to high fire through fire and flower and they can mm-hmm. actually get you know not real time, but they can get close to real time feedback from their customers. So if their customers are, they can start seeing like, okay, this this product is selling, this product is not selling. Customers like this, this is coming back. HiFire will give them that information, and they can now pivot a lot better. That IP in its own, that like that data alone, is worth a lot of money. And I think a lot more LPs are going to come on because, for for those of you who don't know, uh, in Ontario specifically the Canadian LPs have to sell to the Ontario government and then the Ontario government then distributes it to the retailers uh, and to the uh, end client, which prevents, which is sort of an extra, a middleman in the step in terms of getting 360 feedback. And that was one of the benefits that I always saw in the illicit market was that, you know, you're buying, you're going direct to your consumer. So you can, you can sort of tailor your product as your customers need. So I don't know that was one company that sort of come back on my radar. Um, and it's gotten me a little excited about Canada. Yeah, so I'm just I'm looking up their numbers, and I I haven't I don't know much about Fire and Flower, but um, it's it's hard it's hard to say. I I think I would have to see it proven out in the numbers first. Um, I think retail, and this is funny, Abby. We're gonna we're gonna switch. We're gonna like swap positions again. But uh, I actually am coming around to your thing about 
you know, like, do we need retail that much? Like, you know, like now with the OCS and the <laughs> pandemic, you know, we've, we've done oh, so many episodes yeah. on this, right? Where you argue like retail, yeah. we don't need it. It's all online. But like right now in Ontario, I think customers are kind of realizing like, why do I have to go into the store and pay 20 to 30% more when the OCS yeah. will ship it to me the next day free of charge at the lowest possible price? And, um, you know, I, I have agree. a Tokyo smoke near my condo. And, you know, when I, now, you know, I was like, yeah, who cares? I can get it right away. But now when I compare the prices, I'm like, man, I'm paying like 25 to 35% more to get, just to go, just to get something today instead of get it like tomorrow. Like I have really, yeah. you know, unless I need it right now, it, it doesn't necessarily make sense. There was one stat. Now this, I never fact checked this, but this was a company that came and said this. So I like, again, put an asterisk next to it. They were saying that cannabis similar to beer is one of the most uh, quickly consumed products after purchase. So within half an hour of purchase. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if it's true or not. Um, They're saying gum and beer are like, as soon as you buy it, you, you consume it um, like within half an hour. And so they were saying cannabis is very, very, very similar to that from the, the, the and the study that they did was in California. So a pretty mm-hmm. mature market. Um, I do want to say for my for my retail thesis here, I agree with you on like the fact that, you know, retail, I think retail doesn't really make sense in, in the cannabis space. I still don't. The reason I liked Fire and Flower right now is because of this high fire platform that they had. I had to learn a little bit more about it. Um, it's like reoccurring revenue that occurs monthly um, and it's data that they're basically selling to the LPs. Right. So. You know, I think you were the one telling me like, no, retail is important because a lot of people don't know what they're buying. So you get direct, you know, you you get to speak to an industry expert or you get to speak to a bud tender Mm -hmm. and they're going to give you their opinions on what it is. Right. And that opinion is invaluable. Um, It's kind of like, you know, it's like going to like a boutique hardware store if you're making a deck as opposed to watching a YouTube video. You know, you talk to somebody who's had experience, they give you the the tricks of the trade. Um, But, you know, you're only building one deck, whereas with cannabis, you're consistently buying it. So it's going to eventually, I think people are just like, yeah, I'll just buy it online. I know exactly what product I want. Right. Um, right, but I think right, with Fire right, and Flower, right. yeah. yeah, and I think with Fire and well, Flower, look, the the value add right now is that digital platform. Yeah. So look, we'll see, right? We'll see, and and I that's I take your point. Like that could be interesting, the digital platform. But ultimately, Canada's a tough market. Um, I actually agree with you. I think there will be some opportunity to come back to Canada and deploy some capital. Um, I don't know if we're there yet. I actually think looking at kind of the big names in the space, like Canopy and Afria and Aurora, I think they've also had a really good run. And uh, the valuations are just, again, not making sense to me, like Canopy especially. Um, So I think that's going to hold me back. And I think there's just more opportunity in the US. But when I look at like the extractors, like, you know, Medifarm and Valence. Now, Medifarm is having a lot more issues, to be perfectly honest. Like Valence is actually way outperforming them. But Valence is getting punished. Like their stock is, you know, trading terribly compared to, you know, what their, their fundamental picture. So to me... Like I'm keeping a really close eye on them. If they keep cranking out the results that they're doing, Valence does, then I would, you know, be going heavily back into Valence. So I think what's happening now is like a sector-wide thing where people see one sector, like cannabis, for example, and then they jump into it. And if your stock is listed on, you know, on a, uh, you know, the New York Exchange or the Nasdaq or whatever, more eyeballs can see it quickly and more people can trade it quickly. So you you have a a greater chance of you know catching fire is what I keep saying, right? Um, but for me as a as an investor, what I want to do is look for things that I feel are overlooked and undervalued, um, and buy them and be comfortable holding them for a long period of time because I might have to. Um, and if I get lucky or if people start taking notice, it will catch fire. So let me give you guys a real time example, okay? To get to get nitty gritty. Uh, I've talked about Liberty Health, I mean, more times than I can remember, right? Now, I don't have any particular love for Liberty Health. It's just that Liberty Health is a decent company in a phenomenal market, okay? As a reminder, it's it's a single state operator. It's in, it's in, uh, it's in True Leave. It's in, uh, it's in Florida, where True Leave is really the, you know, the dominant player. True Leave is a phenomenal company in a phenomenal market, Okay. Uh, Liberty by comparison is just cheap. It's got a good operation. They're doing well there. 
Uh, the market is phenomenal. Um, and it seems to be pretty stable, right? So the, the stock at 50 cents Canadian is very reasonable and it's coming off the lows of like 38, 40 cents. It hasn't had that much of a run. Okay. So when I look at that, I go, Hey, if I want to get my feet wet in today's market, that's the kind of thing I can buy into because the valuation looks reasonable to me. They're, they're cash flow positive. Maybe they were, they were last quarter. We'll see this quarter. Um, but they should be okay. Like, like I don't think they need to raise equity. I think they're in a good position. I think it's a phenomenal market, good margins. So I could buy that pretty comfortably and sit and wait. And then you have something like, you know, their financials are going to be coming out this month. Their financials should show pretty well. You know, not going to be truly numbers, but they're going to be pretty good. I think good margins, good cash flow, et cetera, et cetera. So if people start paying attention, that stock could start running again, right? In which case, if it runs too fast, too far, I'll take advantage of that. I'll sell and I'll, you know, I'll move to the sidelines on that name, right? But that's the kind of uh, investment with, you know, limited downside risk, but still some pretty good upside potential that I can get behind in this market, right? I want to be cautious. I want to pick my spots, but that's the kind of thing I can get behind uh, at today's numbers. Yeah, and I love that you use the uh, Liberty Health example um, because I, I think I was it was I started putting a closer eye on it. Can't remember how long ago, but I, I shot you a message on. I just wanted to get your thoughts on because I know you're, you're like the Florida guru. You love that. You you love the state, and I, I can see why. Um, and, and to be honest, I I personally like Liberty Health a little bit better, strictly from evaluation, strictly from an investment perspective. And uh, you hit it right on the head when you said like limited downside protection. I think it's uh, you know it's trading at a reasonable valuation. And uh, I picked some up I think two weeks ago. Um, it's pretty flat. It's been a, like a little volatile ride, but I, I thought it was going to do a lot better than than it did. But it's only been two weeks, so. Yeah, it's it's an interesting it. it's an interesting one because like I think more than ever you're kind of looking at the chart and you're like okay how how much does this thing run so there is that element of technical and momentum's in there right uh, and by the way one thing I really want to say to people be careful chasing things on the way up like because I spend so much time on the cannabis sector I think I know it pretty well and that gives me an advantage and one thing I always look for is the volume. And one thing I've been noticing recently, like today, which is Tuesday, um, you know, we had decent gains or, or good movement in, in almost all the cannabis names, uh, but very low volume. And that should be concerning because what that tells you is that, you know, you look at your whatever stock app or whatever, and you see that, oh, GTI is, you know, got bid up to 1350 today. But if the volume is really low, uh, that means there was just very, you know, there's very few people buying and very few people selling. So it looks like it's that price, but the reality is that can change very quickly because there's not enough support at that price, right? So be careful when things are going up on low volume. Um, what's interesting is, you know, on the really red day of last week, uh, I had already started buying, right? So now, when the price has dropped, you know, five, 10, 15% in a day, I went, okay, great. Well, you know, I was, I had a, a knot in my stomach because I thought this is the beginning of the great pullback. But I said, look, you gotta, you gotta buy when it's difficult. So I bought some more, right? I averaged cost down at that point. But what's interesting was that red day was heavy, heavy volume. So that told me that there was a lot of people exiting, right? And I think, guys, this is what you're gonna see for the foreseeable future uh, for cannabis, but also just in general. When you have this many people just buying names, you know, just buying, 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 not really paying attention, um, you're going to have a lot of people who don't know what they hold, okay? And anecdotally, I I pay attention to, you know, the, the forums and what people say in kind of the casual discussion. And I was amazed to see one bad day, one red day is all it took for people to turn vicious, like really nasty. And I saw that over the last few months of, of the cannabis kind of sector bottoming out, people just getting really depressed and like, oh, the sector is BS. It's all a scam, you know, being mad at everybody but themselves, basically. Um, 
I saw that happen in one freaking day, guys. And I'm like, oh my God, those people are going to drop these stocks so quickly after a couple of bad days. If there's a couple of red days in a row, those guys are gone. They're going to drop this thing like, you know, like it's hot and get out of here. So be ready for those big swings. Like that's a very real possibility. And I think a very likely outcome. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And you got to keep your emotion in check too, right? Like you have to remember, especially in the cannabis sector, in, in all high risk sectors, um, you're going to have these massive swings and you've always got to ask yourself, you know, has anything changed? And I think you're really good at asking yourself that, Manish. You, you know, whenever we chat, it's always like, if something does go down a lot, it's like, hey man, like has anything actually changed? Like, no, like nothing has changed. This is all that's different. It's like, right. okay, that's immaterial, right? Yeah. And, and the, the reason for me making a big move and selling my portfolio, I mean, A, it's called panic. Let's keep it real. But B, I truly <laughs> believe, I truly believe things have changed. Right, like I truly believe, COVID is something we're going to be dealing with for years. Um, and as a reminder, my brother loves to remind me. Um, I'm the guy who said on an episode in March, um, or maybe it was February. I can't remember. I said, you know, by the time April comes around, we're not going to be talking about this COVID thing anymore. We'll have moved on to the next thing. Right. So, you know, took uh, got that one a little less than right, but <laughs> but I like, but I really think this will be a thing we're dealing with for years. Like. When you have 13, 14% unemployment, that's not going to fix itself in 12 months. Um, you know, that's why I think the Fed is basically saying we don't care about asset bubbles. We have bigger problems. And the problem is until we get a vaccine and life can go back 100% to normal, we like businesses are in a really, really bad spot. Earnings are going to be soft for many quarters like not just q2 but q3 4 q1 like it's going to keep going so as a fundamental investor i go you know what i'm i'm going to try to hold a lot of cash and keep my powder dry because eventually the market will figure this out and eventually it will reprice itself but in the meantime i really don't know like i i can see this going on for a while so if i can find my spots like liberty health um you know I will buy. So for the most part, I'm buying the kind of smaller stuff that's been overlooked and I don't mind holding for a while, but it might also catch fire if people start paying attention to it. And if it does, I'll probably exit, take my profits and, you know, either do it again or wait. There's nothing wrong with holding cash and waiting. Nothing at all. No, that's true. In an environment like this, that's actually probably what you want to be doing uh, if you have that level of uncertainty. I, again, I'm the exact opposite. I have that level of uncertainty, but uh, I'm still fully invested uh, in this market. Or I am fully invested now in this market. Um, and we'll see. We'll see how things go. And, you know, I like I like to be on the, uh, I'm pretty sector agnostic as well on, on the actual portfolio. Because I know we didn't really touch upon what else you were doing outside of cannabis. But um, I don't know. I'm looking at gold. Basically, basically I like it right thing, now. honestly. Sorry? Yeah, other than when I bought Wells Fargo and then I flipped it, it's all been cannabis. I, I think the cannabis is, sector has held up really well. Um, and and by the way, uh, you know, coming to the end of this one, but there's some really cool news happening around the world, mostly in the U.S., but around the world with legalization. Like, you know, New Jersey and Arizona uh, will probably go legal uh, on the vote in November. I don't know. I'm not. I'm less sure about Arizona, but New Jersey, I think, is an absolute lock, right? I think New York will follow next year. So, you know, regardless of COVID or not, um, I think, and actually because of COVID, there's probably, a, we have an increased chance of getting legalization in a lot of places. Um, Israel, for example, just announced a couple of days ago, I think last week, uh, that they are moving towards legalization. And, you know, there's a lot of work to be done, a lot of uncertainty, uh, but that is a phenomenal milestone and no one is really talking about it right so legalization unlocks a tidal wave of demand um you know that's something i have a very close eye on and something that i want to be ahead of the curve on when it comes to investing right so there's a very good bull thesis for cannabis you, the problem is with the way the market is you have to pick your spots you got to be careful uh but you know no risk no reward so it is what it is yeah that's true that's true all right, guys, this is that is the episode for this week on, you know, how to play this bull market without getting whiplash. Uh, my name is Manish. This is Abby. CIN podcast at gmail.com. Until next time, guys.
This podcast is a general communication and entertainment being provided for informational purposes only. It is educational in nature and not designed to be a recommendation for any specific investment product, strategy, plan, feature, or other purposes. Any examples used in this podcast are generic, hypothetical, and for entertainment purposes only. None of Cannabis Investing Network or its affiliates are suggesting that the listener or any other person take a specific course of action or any action at all. Communications such as this are not impartial and are provided in connection with advertising and marketing of products and services. Prior to making any investment or financial decisions, an investor should seek individualized advice from, from a personal financial, legal, tax, and other professional advisor that take into account all of the particular facts and circumstances for an investor's own situation. By listening to this communication, you agree with the intended purpose described earlier. Opinions and statements of financial market trends that are based on current market conditions constitute our judgment and are subject to change without notice. We believe the information provided here is reliable, but should not be assumed to be accurate or complete. The views and st strategies described may not be suitable for all investors.